Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome to the show this week to talk v8 supercars it's ben beasley from bam media good evening ben good evening craig great to be with you and from vertex magazine it's adrian Mussolino. hey craig how's things I'm going great guns. It's not too long till the next race of the V8 Supercar Series. But before then, Ben, a lot of talk about super soft tyres. We've been having this debate for a number of years, probably ever since the soft tyre came in. But they're now testing with Dunlop a super soft. The chances of this being implemented in this current life of the tyre contract, what do you think that is? I think it's always interesting that we start to talk tyres immediately after we go to a circuit that's been resurfaced, and that's what happened in Darwin. And what happens there is the grip levels come up and the racing is good, and everyone says, oh, wow, we've got to give these guys more grip. And then the, the, the debate comes up about, you know, obviously tyre allocations for the weekend. And then the next thing is that um, the team seem to have got such a good balance on the soft, the current soft tyre that the where we were when we had this current soft tyre a few years ago when it first came in was gave the grip but then went away, we've seemed to have lost that little pattern. So obviously the thing they're talking about now is bringing in an even softer tyre so you gain another big advantage but with a, with a shorter shorter tyre life to spice up the racing. I think, um, you know, it's a good thing. It's certainly great that they're actually going to test the tyres because they've spoken about it before Dunlop have even talked about being able to supply the tyres before, but they were never tested. So, you know, to open up the opportunity to test the soft tyre, fantastic. Um, you know, I don't think we need to be getting into a situation where we have three compounds in V8 supercars. I think what they've already been speaking about, that certainly at Phillip Island and Bathurst, you're going to have to stay with the hard tyre because of the, the big high-speed corners. But everywhere else, soft and super soft tyres, I reckon it can work. Adrian, what's your thoughts on a super soft well, I think it's great that they're finally listening to driver feedback. And if you speak to most of the drivers, they'll tell you that they want to be on the soft tyre as the standard tyre and move away from the hards and then introduce a super soft that can be thrown in to mix up the races. So it's good we're finally heading in that direction if that's to be the case. But as Ben said, you know, testing's crucial because you know there's a lot that can go wrong with tyres. We saw that in Formula 1 with Pirelli. They went too far the extreme way and we saw what happened there and now they've scaled back and it really does influence the races so it's an interesting development I think there's a long way to go I think the application of soft tyre is very inconsistent over the last few years we've seen the sort of formats jumble a bit and the use of them change and as we've seen now there's just been this rush to get them back into the sprint race format so I think VS Supercars needs to settle on one thing and decide once and for all is this going to be the standard tyre? And then if that's the case, move forward with the super soft. Mm. And, and the crazy thing, Ben, was we went to Winton knowing that they were going to make changes and they spent the entire time, no, no, we're not changing anything. 
when they were putting orders in for soft tyres to get them through the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, and you've got to be fair on Dunlop because Dunlop have a production run, I think, of two allocations a year. Now, they can make whatever tyre you want as long as you tell them before they manufacture the tyres. Then the tyres have obviously got to land here via sea so that, you know, it's all this timing sort of thing. Um, the more interesting thing is, you know, the original idea of the soft tyre was you could use them once. But now we've been seeing situations where tyres are being used for a stint, they come off and then they go back on because the teams have got smart with not just rotating the tyres around the car, but also if they can pull the tyres off for a certain time and they let them cool, they seem to come back to life. Yeah, but don't forget they're also rotating them on the rim. So particularly for the steer tyre where you've got the camber on the wheel and you're using that, you know, what is it, 15 millimetres of tyre, they're turning them on the rim, running them against the directional grain, but using the thick part that hardly got touched. So you can't take that out of the equation either. Yeah, but you, but the original idea of the soft tyre was that you would be using it, you know, once yeah. to get that advantage, and then once their life was used, you you take them away. So I think mm. that's the other point of having another softer tyre on top of the soft tyre that we've got at the moment. Mm. It, it, it comes to the point though that this tyre, this tyre contract is coming to an end. Drivers always want more grip. They want to, you know, if they had a tyre that only lasted one lap, they could go out and qualify on, they would use it. They're not paying the bills, some would say. But with the tyre tender going out soon, what do you think this is going to do to Dunlop, who have been following orders for so long, when someone else comes in and says, we can do this, we can do that, we'll do whatever you ask for, not quite knowing how V8 supercars operates, Ben? Well, I mean, the only there was I heard there some interesting comments from the people from Michelin, who actually like V8 supercars, but they want to come in under their way of, of thinking of racing, and uh, they don't they want to protect their brand by saying we have good, durable, strong tyres, not tyres that are going to go off. So that that's their philosophy. I mean. Really, the tyre contract comes up and, and you've just got to really see where the interest is. If there is, of course, more than one or two tyre tenders, or certainly two or more tyre tenders, then the ball certainly more so is, is in the court of, of the, uh, the tyre manufacturer of what they want to bring. Now, Adrian, I'm hearing there's like four manufacturers that are keen to be involved. It's interesting, just to touch on a point we made previously, the thing with tyres is we only really talk about them when they're a problem. And we saw that, again, with Pirelli and F1, when they became a problem, Pirelli was in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. So if you're a manufacturer going into a control series, it's difficult to gain any sort of advantage from that from a marketing standpoint because how often are your tyres going to be talked about? So with Michelin or Dunlop or Bridgestone or whoever it will be, you can see that there will be an advantage to a super soft or a soft format because the change from one spec to the other will generate some headlines and get that brand some attention. There's definitely interest out there and it comes at an interesting time when the whole formula could soon be changing. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, OEM uh, suppliers of tyres are interested in this and it begs the question, Adrian, could we see this A move perhaps away from a one-tyre contract, which has been the stable of the last, I think it's 12 years now that we've been on a one-tyre series. 
I doubt it very much at a time when cost-cutting is more important now than ever before. I, I don't think that Supercars is in a position to open up and go towards the tyre war and all the implications that has on testing and differences in performances and things like that. When you look at Formula One with all their massive budgets, but even they're very determined to stick to that single tyre supply. So I think that's the way to go. And I think most series around the world have accepted that that's the way to do it. One thing, Ben, I've spoken to uh, uh, Kevin on a, a number of occasions is that they have a masthead called Dunlop. They have a masthead called Goodyear. But and And there was some talk when Goodyear got, I think it was the Holden contract, that they could run the Fords on Dunlops and the Holdens with the uh, same tyre with Goodyear on the outside label. That could be attractive to V8 supercars. However, the Goodyear-Dunlop agreement in Asia has just been torn up in the last, uh, I think it was within the last three months. So they don't have the, the marketing partnership that they used to have. No, no, they don't. And, um, you know, you can look across a number of different brands. I think, you know... Um, Bridgestone own a number of different brands that they could associate with, as, as could Michelin. You know, even you know, some of the, the Asian brands such as uh, Hankook or, or Kumo as well. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a number of different options. The thing that really has changed, of course, in this country is you can talk about an OEM supplier, but manufacturing is not happening here in the next couple of years. So it's not that intrinsic and, you know, thing that, that, that it once was. I mean... A tyre manufacturer is going to come in from a, a pure marketing point of view for themselves, not necessarily to align themselves with the manufacturer. Mm. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how the tyres shape up in the future, but we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars and plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. It, you know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Ben Beasley and Adrian Mussolino. And don't forget, you can listen to Inside Supercar now in your car on the Stitcher app, which is available in about oh, 20 or 30 different types of cars, including a Holden, if you uh, so choose. So yeah, you can be listening to this driving to or from work, Ben Beasley. Oh, One... nothing, nothing could be better, Craig. Oh, well, of course. And you won't have to worry about the roar of the V8 engine drowning it out because if we all go V6s, then there's less noise to contend with perhaps in the road car, because the DNA and the noise won't be changed if you listen to the Gen 2 promotional blurb. Yeah, it's, um, this Gen 2 move is getting a lot of bad feedback if you look at forums and social media and the response from the fans and the concerns around the engines. So hearing that there's going to be a mandated noise level would have provided some relief for the fans. It's a case of wait and see. There's a lot to go through in terms of 
manufacturers deciding which way to go, testing, seeing how they perform on track and how they how the cars look and how they sound. And I think it's encouraging to hear the supercars insisting that the loud brashness of the series will be maintained. Obviously, that's where the history of Australian touring cars in certain periods, that's what it lost. So it's encouraging, but I think we're just waiting to see what product is delivered. Ben, Loud is a, a very, um, well, it's a very personal opinion, isn't it? Because when we went to Austin, the big call was we were the quietest series out on the racetrack. Yeah, you know, if, if people have ever been to, to a NASCAR race, like you said, we saw the, it was the, uh, the Pirelli GT series out of America, and they had these Cadillacs, and they had all sorts of different things, and they were loud. And then when the supercars came out, boy, oh boy, it was really disappointing. And the only thing that was more disappointing was the first time we heard the new Formula One cars, you know, 18 months ago. Mm. But, you know, the noise is important. The noise is important from a number of points of view because it is it is part of the emotion of, of, of why you go to motor racing is to not just to see it and smell it, but feel it and if you can't feel it you know that that's really disappointing the, the thing is with these new generation cars and if they were going to go for all different types of engine platforms the great thing is it used to hear the different notes of all the engines i think that's you know one of the great things if you if you go and watch gt racing in the bathurst 12 hour you pick the cars before they come you know and, and so they all sound different they are all pretty loud which is great and, um, you know, I think Formula One has really shown the example that if you've got to cut down the, the audible, you know, um, sen- sensation or experience of going to car racing, you know, you're going to turn a lot of people away. So definitely the sound has got to be there. It's probably not, not all of them are going to be V8s in the future, but, you know, the sound has got to stay. So who, Adrian, do you think seriously is going to change what they've got now and go v- uh, V6 racing? Well, it seems as though Holden will move in that direction it'll help align them with their the general motors international motorsport program so the, the talk is they'll be moving to a v6 as for ford i mean who knows really what's going on there i mean there is continued talk of djr team penske keeping the ford brand and bringing mustang and the like you know let's remember the mustang will be sold here with the v8 in it so you think if there's going to be an alignment there that they would maintain what they have. I think what you'll find is most manufacturers and teams will keep or stick with what they've got purely because of the development work that's missing and how it's gotten to that ultima. So think of the approach and then once we get into the Gen 2 era and see who's what and where they are on performance-wise, then you'll see some patterns emerge. Uh, now, uh, Adrian, you just must be getting into a bit of a dead spot there because you're dropping in and out. But Nissan are an interesting one because Nissan, obviously, Ben, have engines that uh, they could plug in. But when you speak to them, they go, we've just spent a million dollars developing this one and we've still got a few dollars to spend on it to get it right, but we're getting closer. Yeah, and the other thing too is, you know, they're talking 2017 in car manufacturer terms and also car racing terms you know when that's only you know 18 months away that's you know a clear set of rules we've got a white paper with a broad set of rules but a defined set of rules is really what everybody needs to see before you know they can start you know talking about decisions 
you know, Nissan haven't ruled out that they would look at a, you know, another engine option. But that decision is going to be made by the um, the motorsport um, people who are in the know through Nismo. Um, and like you say, although the rules might come in at that time, it could be 12, 18, two years, even longer before they start to look at changing the engine over because until somebody really makes the big move and then starts to get the the leap in performance, you know, that's, that's when it will happen. And, you know, even to that point, you know, a car company like Nissan or anybody else could be developing behind the scenes until that engine is starting to show the performance they need and then they just bring it in, in line, you know, at the start of the season. But that's a very expensive way to go, Adrian, and as you said, money's tighter than ever. Yeah, as you said, with Nissan Motorsport, a lot of money's gone into that Ultima in terms of aerodynamics and engines. So it's asking a lot of Nissan to start again with a GTR or or a V6 and and then going through all that concern of getting the aero right and, you know, are they banking on the right engine? Just at a time when Nissan Motorsport itself is still searching for long-term serious funding. So I think it's asking a lot for the manufacturers. I think, as Ben said, you will see them sticking with what they know in the meantime. And it's only when a pattern emerges under Gen 2 and if someone gains an advantage out of a V6 that you'll see some serious moves. And someone could be cruel and say, why would you want to develop a V8 supercar or a supercar Australia engine when they're just trying to become GTs anyway? But... That's a crueler man than I. We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as the supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we don't like it the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Adrian Mussolino from VRX Magazine and Ben Beasley from BAM Media, Speed Cafe, and uh, most of the pre-packaged pieces that you see um, that aren't done by VRX Supercar Media are done by Ben and his team. And uh, the silly season. Well, I know Speed Cafe is doing a poll at the moment. Who's the, going to be the most important man in silly season? And there's some interesting names, Coulthard, Slade. Pie, Reynolds, Ben, where do you think the cards will fall? Which one's the domino that's going to set the whole thing alight? Well, it really seems to fall at the, at the feet of, um, of, of Fabian Colfard. He's definitely in a position where he's wanted by a number of different teams. So he really does hold the key. Interestingly enough, you know, his name has now been mentioned with the uh, DJR Team Penske operation. So... Um, there's interest there. Clearly, there's interest there, and um, you know he would maybe a few months ago probably wouldn't have been looking at that. But then obviously looks at the the um, what has been happening down with ProDrive and, and the performance of the Fords, and if he wants success, and maybe they they've looked at the 
the um, the guys who have got form in the series and said, obviously, Fabian is a guy who's got form. They think he might be able to, you know, make make the Falcon work, or he's using that just again as an opportunity to, you know, open more doors, you know, across the board with different teams. I think um, a pro driver, they're in a bit of a tough situation with David Reynolds because he's now performing. They still have to lock away um, a sponsor um, long term on the on the on the car there. But then they've also got um, the hottest guy in the Dunlop series right now in Cameron Waters as well. So, you know, that's, sometimes you're, um, you're full of, um, of, of too many things to play with and that's really where they are. And uh, that's, that's going to be a decision which will be a hard one. But like I said, it really comes down to what uh, Fabian wants to do. Um, Tim Slade, as you, as you mentioned, yes. So maybe he's also, um, Fabian's also been mentioned within the Walkinshaw group. Look, this... What is no doubt is there's probably three or four teams that have um, made an approach to him, and he's got to decide which way he wants to go, or if he wants, or as David Reynolds I heard say last week, what if he doesn't leave? Then what happens? Then does everything stay status quo? So, you know, it's an interesting time. It is, Adrian, and uh, and a, a key question is, Fabian Coulthard's been the best Holden so uh, across the season. Um, sure, there's been other Holdens that have won, but he's been there consistent. And uh, you have to ask, is moving to another team, when you're in the one that's performing best, the right move? Yeah, I, I don't envy Fabian. I think it's a very tough choice he's got ahead of him, especially if he does have the options that seem to be on the table. And let's not forget as well, there's also that techno water sports seat, which everyone seems to have forgotten about, given that Shane Van Giesbergen announced his move to... Triple Eight so long ago. Um, so there's a lot of cards on the table, and the problem is we're not just talking about driver movements; we're talking about licenses and sponsors. So when they come into the mix, we're not even sure, for example, if DJR Team Penske will be with one or two cars, and what sponsor will be on the 55 car under the Pro Drive banner, and all those things. When you add that into the mix, as well as driver contracts, it gets very muddied. I think mm. and- it's going to be one of those off seasons where we probably won't have a real clear picture till maybe even December, January when the drivers, the final element, can be signed up. And Ben, one of the interesting things is Lee Holsworth signed for two years with Charlie Swerkholt Racing, but it seems that the funding model there just isn't perhaps working well enough for Charlie to continue on. He could make a decision like James Rosenberg did at the end of last year and said, uh, no, it's not good enough uh, a return on investment here. Whilst I like racing, it's you know it's got to pay for itself at least. Yeah, and you have a look at a situation towards the end of last year where Lee thought he had a deal with Erebus. Um, he had a handshake deal with Erebus, but then the situation changed and Charlie came in, and he thought he was going to go and be you know part of um, the Pro Drive stable. Next thing you know, Charlie has picked up his his license and moved it over to Walkinshaws and you know, after the Rosenberg situation happened. And now Charlie must be looking back going, gee, was that a good move? <laughs> you know, um, the, with the Pro Drive cars going so well. The other part with all, all of that is is Super Black. Super Black are operating under a leased um, wreck from, from DJR. Now, how do they position themselves if, like you say, at the 11th hour, you know, Penske does turn around and say, yes, we do have the funding, so we want our licence back. You know, that's that's the, that's some of those situations where 
you know, it's quite difficult. And when you do have people who are going to commit, but they're sort of on, almost on the outside looking in, waiting, waiting on on, the, on these other decisions to be to be made, which, like you say, it, it's all going to come down to commercial reality, which could be decided really, really late. And I think, Adrian, too, it brings up the uh, situation. Is, is Vert Supercars causing a problem for itself by saying, no, it's only going to be 26? When you've got people there that want to spend money, want to buy licences, is it better to have them in and have a smaller pie with the potential of generating more revenue because you've got bigger deals that you can do when you've got more signage than uh, if you just keep going down and saying, well, we're going to have less cars, but each of the teams are going to have more revenue, which should make them more profitable. Well, it depends on who you talk to. If you're going to talk to a team boss, they'll say that they want as much of the pie as possible. And clearly with 26 licences on the table, they'll get a bigger cut than if there were 28. But if you ask fans and you know, us in the media, we'd prefer 28 because there's obviously more, you know, better racing, more cars on the grid, more things to talk about. So it's a difficult mix. Obviously, if you have supercars that have decided 26 is the magic number for the moment, remembering we're going back overseas next year, so that means that cars will need to be freighted and things like that. It is difficult at the moment when you have teams looking for licences, but at the end of the day, the sponsors need to justify it. And this is the whole crux of the issue. They're saying, oh, it's because we're going back overseas that we're going to go to 26, when they've, they know they've got people wanting licences. They're obviously planning that there's going to be a lot of switches internally, Ben, because, like you said, the super black one's a classic example. But at the same time, if the new generation car was and it's the only thing it failed in, to be honest, in my opinion, if it was cheap enough, you wouldn't worry. You'd be fr- you'd sea freight everything because you would send your overseas car off on the sea freight and it wouldn't affect your racing team because your other car comes out to run it whichever local race is at. But I also think you can, with some of the races overseas, it, it's how you structure the calendar that can make some of those events work far more efficiently. You know, um, does it not make sense to um, maybe race in Darwin and then go to Malaysia? I don't know. Does is 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 the freight from from Darwin to Malaysia easier or Perth to Malaysia easier? I don't. You know, these are some of the things I think they need to think about. You know, that's just sort of a different conversation, but. Um, yeah, you can't go 26 to 27 that, in terms of the cars. They've got to go to 28, and I think that's where they've really looked at it and gone, <laughs> we've probably got, there's probably interest to add one more car, but two more cars, no, there's not. And and then also behind with all this is th- there was rules put in place with how long you could lease a licence out for. I think it's two seasons, maybe three. So if um, Super Black going as they do next year with um, Penske um, leasing the Penske licence they could be in a situation where they could buy the licence you know, in 12-18 months time or do they continue on in this situation where every 12 months well we'd love to go racing next year but we don't know, you know that, mm. that's, the, that's the more unfair thing on you know Super Black you know, hey, are you guys going to make a long-term commitment? And if Tony Latino says yes, then the guy should be looked after. 
you know, he he is funding this. He is a, he um, is an enthusiast, but he's, his heart's in the right place. He's also got his car clearly at, at the right place in terms of the, what team is running it. So long term, you know, that, that's that's a great thing. But it's very difficult, even from a ProDrive point of view, if they don't know if that guy's going to be there, you know, and the decision can be made really late. And, and they've got a budget for their, you know, they've got a budget for next year now, basically. And you were in Tamland for so many years, you know that you're in July, and you, if you haven't got sponsors signed by probably end of August, First you haven't got merchandise for yeah. Clipsal. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, you know, when, when when this wreck came back on the scene and Triple Eight got it, um, you know, fair enough. Well done to them. But when there was other interest, interest out there to be in there, such as a, a Super Black or maybe one or two others as well, you know, that's there. So, mm. yeah, you know, effectively, you didn't increase, you didn't increase the reach of the series by no. putting one more license out. You just, you still got the same reach. You just got one more car on the grid. You, 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 you gave yourself a nice even number. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting strategy to say the very least. We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but we'll be back because there's a few other issues that we need to discuss. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bolt Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars as uh, Ben Beasley and Adrian Mussolino join me, Craig Ravel, and Parody. Uh, last week on the show, uh, uh, Stefan Bartholomeus and Andrew Van Leeuwen said uh, that, you know, the parody issue, it's an, well, I think Andrew said it's a non-issue. Stefan said it's probably a non-issue, but people are complaining about it in the background. And certainly the media has decided to jump on board and run with it, Adrian. They have, and obviously the media will run with it when team bosses and team owners are kicking and screaming about it. It's a very difficult situation when you have one manufacturer beating up on the other and, and you know, it's difficult to prove when we don't have the figures in front of us and it's all well and good for VS Supercars to assure us that there is parity and the numbers are equal and they've rechecked them and, and the like, but... You know, it all comes back down to the testing process and if that is the most advanced and best system to determine whether cars are equal with their aero. Um, if you speak to some experts, it isn't, and that's where some of the question marks are raised. It's, you know, is it still the coast down test? I can never keep up. It hasn't changed for so long, but that's, that's the uh, interesting point, isn't it, Ben, that we are using the system we've always used. And even though technology is out there that could do it differently, this is the system we know. That's right. And it's been the system that certainly since really Project Blueprint, which is now 12, 13 years mm. 
back when or certainly, you know, 13 years probably during the testing phase that they've used. I think um, what's obviously happened this year is um, if, if, the, if the FGX Falcon had been um, the only one this year with a new aero package, then probably more so people could get upset about it. But Nissan got an update, Holden got an update as well. So three of the five, um, Volvo and Erebus Mercedes didn't. They didn't, they didn't choose to, to um, request an update or, or um, put forward an update. So when all three got approved, um, you know, no dramas. Uh, in the first few races, whether it was ProDrive, you know, still getting their head around the FGX, what clearly has happened is they have their head around the FGX now and have for the last few races, and it doesn't matter if it's a, uh, a street track or a, um, or a permanent circuit. They are absolutely on the money, and certainly three of their cars, Winterbottom, Mostert, and Reynolds, are really, those three cars are on song. Um, Heimgartner has shown speed at certain points, and to be fair, it's his rookie season, you know, at a lot of these circuits. And then um, it's really the 17 car that really hasn't, you know, shown, it's shown glimpses as well, but it hasn't been as consistent as, as the, the 5, 6, and 55. Mm. And uh, I guess it's... A point that if uh, it's a point that they've the Ford team had a number of deficiencies and they addressed all those deficiencies in the one go, whereas the Holden teams, well, they've been winning everything for so long, they probably weren't looking for those bits and those little tenths that the Ford the Ford guys did when they put up their new package. Yeah, we're talking fine margins. Sorry, Ben. Um, we're talking fine margins here. Let's not forget that the the car, the FG, which struggled so much apparently with redeficiency, has won the last two Bassas and was competitive in those seasons. You know, enough that they made championship charges. So we are talking very small margins, and it's not as if all five of the FGXs are way out in front. The ones which are in front, you'd expect to be in front, and. It is a team which has worked very hard to overcome those error deficiencies and probably in that process has now, with a fresh, clean paper with the FGX, made the gains and getting the reward for that hard work. Mm. And also confidence. You know, like, even within that group, I think Mark Winterbottom's performance on the Sunday in Townsville, where he started on the third row of the grid, but... Every move he made in that race, or his his team, or the people in the number five car, everyone reacted to. Even Tim Edwards said in the commentary, he said, when Frosty pits, everyone will follow. And they did. And that is a pattern in V8 supercars or world motorsport. When a guy, whether you're Lewis Hamilton in Formula One, or you were Jamie Winkup over the last you know, you know seven years, when they moved, everyone reacts. And that's about following the leader. So, um, you know, Winterbottom is just an unbelievable job, even to the point if you had a look, you know, if they really stretched those soft tyres in town, he did more He did more than enough compared to everybody else. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not coming, you know, it, it is just certainly a whole package. You know, they've got the car right. And, and Frosty's confidence is just... Unbelievable! Like I said, you know, he qualified in third row. They still have the confidence to still 
race to the front and then, you know, totally snooker everybody. I, and I think in that Sunday race, did he pass anybody on the track? I don't think. Oh, I think he passed Reynolds. Yep. I think mm. that was the yep. only guy he passed. He passed four or five other cars all during the pit. And it's because he pitted first, got out in clean air. When everyone reacted, bang, they were behind him. Yeah, and how much can we pin the FGX dominance on the aero? You know, what other factors are at play here? Clearly, Triple Eight's lost its way a bit with setup. You know, when they're scrambling the change engineers and and the like, and you look at someone like Fabian Coulthard of Brad Jones Racing, he's punching above his weight given the team's, you know, size compared to the HRCs and the Triple Eight. So, and where, and where other the other cars in his team a performance as well. Exactly, exactly. And there's other factors in place here. ProDrive Racing Australia is doing a great job. This has been coming for some time now. And you look at the performance of Winterbottom, Mostert, Reynolds, it's where you'd expect them to be given their experience. So th- there's not there's not many surprises here. You know, Will we be talking about parity if Red Bull fights back and is in a position to challenge for a Bathurst and Championship at the end of the year? It'll be interesting to see who wins Bathurst and see what what comes of that? Because if your championship winner or leader wins Bathurst, if your championship leader wins Bathurst, he's almost there, isn't he, Ben? Yeah, it's it's worth a heck of a lot um, on, on all counts, you know. Um, points, prestige, confidence. And, and I just can't say enough that the confidence in ProDrive right now is absolutely, you know, at a, at a, at a high. And... Um, you know, the, the critical or people are critical that they used to, you know, um, be their own worst enemy. They've got over that. I also find it interesting, like, you know, Triple Eight are reacting by, you know, reshuffling the, the deck chairs with the engineers and stuff like that. They're, they're the only ones publicly saying that they have to look, you know, it's up to them to beat ProDrive, you know. Um, you know, Mark Dutton has very much said, you know, we've got to do a better job straight away, you know, stop looking for excuses. We have to do a better job. And um, I tell you what, when um, if you, Roland is a very, very hard taskmaster at Triple Eight, he demands success, but they know what success looks like. And, um, you know, but on the same point, um, when you, you're going very well like ProDriver, you know, they're not going to sit on their laurels either. And for sure, they only have to look next door because they're, they're parked next door in the pit lane to Triple Eight to know where the challenge is going to come from. Yep, and it does make for a fascinating Bathurst when you think that FPR won the last two with what was perceived as an inferior FG. Now they head to Bathurst, aiming for the three P, and only two other teams have done that: Holden Deal team and Triple Eight, with the dominant car in the series. And then you've got all of those sort of redemptive stories from Jamie running out of fuel, Shane Vengisbergen. You know, stalling at that last pit stop. There's so many ingredients to make it such an incredible Bathurst, and I think that'll be the real championship-defining race of the season. Uh, but I will have to say that is the first and last time you'll hear three Pete this year. It's a trifecta in this country, please. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to take a break. A final thought up next here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question... Email insiders at sportradio.com.au Each week join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. You heard it here first. No more three-peats. <laughs> Guys, uh, final thought, Adrian Mussolino. Well, we're just talking about the championship battle, and I think the real wild card in all this that hasn't really been mentioned is Pukakoli and its move to November. When you look at the calendar now, it gives it a lot more depth in that post-endurance period, and I think that race itself will be huge and hopefully the crowd, the Kiwi crowd gets out and supports that move and apparently it's a better time for them so it'll be interesting if that can sort of make its mark and, and stay there on the calendar because it just it gives so much more after the Gold Coast rather than just Phillip Island and Sydney that international race if you like mm. will really sort of shape the championship Ben? Well I'm interested in how close the championship is really from second position back You've got a, a group of drivers there. You've got your Lowndes, you've got your Courtney's, you've got your, your Reynolds, and also Mostert, who, who's clearly very, very quick. Um, and also Coulthard sort of always there in the mix, you know, probably after Queensland, really see where that shakes out. You know, if um, probably the pro drive guys are going to be almost top three from then, you know, um, I think uh, it's going to be interesting heading towards um, what would be their final round before the season of endurance in the Eastern Creek and then just see how it all washes out then, and then we can start to talk about, you know, you know the co-driver factor and, and, you know, who's really going to have the best guys, you know, to, to share the cars with all the top teams. Mm. It is interesting times ahead. Thanks very much for joining us this week. Ben Beasley and Adrian Mussolino. Thank you, Tony Craig. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.